we're really diving into this idea of these major questions that people have about the Bible. And so I said last week we were going to look at five major questions. And so tonight we're going to try to tackle all of the first question. And I'm telling you, like, when we dive into these major questions on Scripture, it's hard to cover, like, everything about it. So here's what I'm going to, here's what I'm going to say to you guys. I'm going to do my best to cover this as best I can, to the fullest extent I can, understanding that there may be, like, bits and pieces that get left out because I'm moving so fast and trying to do it in one night. So if you have any questions pertaining to what we're talking about tonight, please come talk to me. Or if, or if someone's brought up like, hey, this proves that what you said isn't true, please come talk to me and I can, and I can talk to you through those situations. But so I said we're going to look through these five questions about Scripture. And, and all of the questions that you guys took in the survey uh, pertained to these five questions we're going to answer. That's why the survey was what it was. Um, and so the only question in the survey that, that we're not going to really discuss was the last one is, do you read your Bible? Because the Bible doesn't talk about whether or not you personally read your Bible. So our question we're answering tonight is, is the Bible divinely inspired of God alone. And when I looked at your answers to this one, and we talked about this last week, we had 13 yeses, two no's, and two not sure's. Let's be honest for a second. Like when we talk about this idea of the Bible and like what it means to us and is it true and is it from God and all these things? It's really overwhelming to think about, right? Like, and, and we can sit here and we can, we could probably honestly like stress ourselves out and worry to the point of not almost being able to even comprehend what we're talking about because we're so consumed with this thought of all these different facets of scripture. <clears throat> and, you know, we sit here and we say, Oh, well, the Bible is fully of God. So how can we sit here and say it was written by man if it's something that's fully of God? Uh, but the idea that God was behind every single word in the Bible is like truly crazy to think about. The idea that God is behind every single piece, every single word, every single phrase, every single dot, as we're going to talk about in scripture, <clears throat> is really mind-boggling because there's a lot in there. And obviously we can understand if we believe the Bible to be true, that God is obviously capable of that. I mean, for crying out loud, he created the worlds and the heavens and humans and all the and animals and all the intricate parts of life and our world and everything. Like, So God is definitely capable of doing something like that. But did God divinely inspire every single piece of what we consider to be scripture. And it's, it's hard to look at this in a, in a context because we know for a fact that it was written by humans, right? We know that, that, that the Bible was actually like scribed by humans. And so it's, it's really hard to look at something like the Bible as 100% accurate, 100% true, without error and everything. When we look at it 
through the lens of it was created by humans who the Bible itself tells us are imperfect. Right. And, and so it's like the same idea that if you run something through a filter and the filter is not, a, you know, is an imperfect filter, you don't expect it to filter everything out. Right. So so it makes sense to us. That if we said, oh, the Bible was written by humans, but it's, it's totally divine and from God, that, that that doesn't like quite add up. And so it makes sense that our world has this question about, is the Bible truly divine, truly of God? And, and so we're going we're gonna to really talk about this tonight. And we're going to discuss it and we're going we're gonna to really try to discern whether or not the Bible is 100% fully from God. So the first thing we have to do. Before we can really discuss whether or not the Bible is, is divine, is we need to discuss whether or not we even need the Bible. Like, why do we need a holy book that tells us about God? I mean, on, on some basic level, you know, I think of like tribal people and they worship like a sun god and a water god. Or even like Greek mythology, you know, they believe that there was like... Gods of all different things, like God of the sea, God of the underworld, God of, you know, war, God of peace, like all these things. Like they believed in all these things, that all these gods, but they didn't have like a holy book, right? Like Zeus didn't write a book that they all like studied and read. Like that would be a little bit crazy. So why then do Christians feel the need to have this holy book that is divinely inspired by God? <clears throat> You know, um, and, and, and I'm going to preface right now because I just said it once and I'm going to say it a lot more times. When I talk about like a revelation from God, I'm not talking about the book of Revelation, like the last book of the Bible, right? Like that's named after the revelation I'm talking about. Revelation just really means God revealing something, right? And so, so if God reveals something to you, you have a revelation. Okay, does that make sense? So, so we could say... That the Bible is God's revelation to humanity because it is him revealing himself to us through this word. So there's two ways that God could do this. There's, there's two main ways that a, they, a deity, you know, we're, we're going to look at this on a very like, for this first part where we're talking about, do we need a holy book? We need to look very broad term. Like, does any religion, do, does humanity need a holy book? Does it need a book that is a divine revelation from a deity? Okay, that's really what we're looking at first. And so when we look at how a deity could reveal itself to humanity, there's really two ways this could be done. And the first one is general communication. Okay, so general communication, like I, I was, a, if you didn't know, my undergrad at OU was uh, communication. Okay, so like that's what my, I have a degree in and people think that communication is like just talking. Okay, with so much more, like you can communicate in lots of ways. We just played a game where you communicated without talking, right? That's called nonverbal communication. Shocker. Um, but there's lots of different ways that a deity could reveal itself to us. In a general way, things like nature, like someone could just look at the world and go, man, there has to be a God for all this. Like there has to be a God that created all this amazing stuff in our world. You could look at history and say, 
you know, we see the rise and the fall of empires. Like, why do empires not last? You know, and, and to sit there and say that, you know, that just is a happenstance that no, that no uh, great dynasty or anything has ever lasted over the course of the world is pretty crazy, realistically. Like, there has to be something else in play, like a divine plan in place. And so you could look at history and maybe say that there's a God. <clears throat> or you could look at humanity's sense of morality. Like, let's just say for a second, like, I have a lot of friends that I know are, are atheist or or don't believe that there is a God or, or don't believe that they can know if there's a God, all these things, but they still have a sense of right and wrong, right? Like they don't go out murdering people just because like, there's no God, bang, bang, bang. Like, it's not like that. You know, they still have a sense of right and wrong. And so humans on a, on a basic level have a conscience, right? They have a sense of morality. Um, we look at, and Paul says this in Romans two fourteen through 16, he says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show the work that of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, as their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on the day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. So basically this is saying that these Gentiles who were not Jews, who did not read the Old Testament or the Torah, um, they still followed some of the laws in there because they just had a general sense of right and wrong, right? Like it, it makes sense that they like didn't murder. They didn't steal. They didn't like uh, commit adultery. Things like They had a general sense of what's right and wrong. And so even though... They didn't know the law said that. They still did it because the law was written on their hearts. And so we can look at all these things and we can say there has to be a deity. There has to be a God somewhere out there for these things. to. So this is a general idea of communicating. And I think that to prove to you that there is this general communication that someone could just be put on this earth and just like determine that there is some form of deity... Just look at the fact of what I've already said and the fact that every civilization has had some form of religion, whether it's like a sun god or, you know, Zeus and all of the many gods or like, you know, all these different. Everyone looks for what created everything, what caused things to come to being. Nature in itself screams of a god. And so that's why we constantly see civilizations creating vast different religions is because they understand just in their heart and in their nature that there is a deity. <clears throat> so God uses general communication to provide universal knowledge of himself to all of God's people. Like we could not ever come to church... We cannot ever exist in a place where religion is normal. We could be raised out in the jungle somewhere, but we would still probably look around in our tribe and go, how do you think all this happened? And create, like, there's got to be like a water god or a sun god or something that we, that created everything. It's in our nature that God has revealed himself to us, but yet humanity continues to turn their back on God. We continue to turn our back on God and worship other gods 
mainly in including ourselves. You know, I, I think back to whenever I was a kid, um, you know, I'd read like the Old Testament. It'd be like, you shall have no idols before these. And my mom and dad would always be like, oh, idols are like golden statues that people would pray to. And I'm like, we don't have those anymore. You know, like that's crazy. That was an Old Testament thing. You know, but the, the more I grew up, the more I realized that an idol doesn't have to be like some golden statue or something. We can idolize anything in our lives. And I think one of the biggest things we idolize is ourselves and what we want and what we desire. And we do that a lot more than we do what God desires for us. And that's a really unhealthy thing to do. And so humanity is in this condition where we understand that there's a God. We understand that just in a nature level that there is a deity, there is a God. And we, yet we continue to just do whatever we want and not focus on this God. And, and you know, when we do this, when we acknowledge there's a God and yet we, we continue not to truly acknowledge him with our lives... It means that given general revelation, just that God exists, we find ourselves condemned before God. Because if there is a God, in any sense, and we turn our back on him, which we all do, like everyone does something selfish at least once in their life, right? We all turn our back on whatever this deity is. We find ourselves in debt to this deity. Like we're not, we are no longer in the good graces of the deity, we are condemned in their eyes. And so, if this were true, if, if, this was, if this was it, if there was no Bible, if the only revelation that God gave us was just us looking around and realizing that there was a God, then the God who created us would have been cruel for creating us with and allowing us to know that he exists and allowing us to turn from him without giving us hope of restoration. But fortunately, I said there's two types of ways that, that a deity could reveal himself. And the second kind, the second way is, is special or spiritual revelation. And, and we see this manifest itself in four ways. Like we saw the other one was nature, history, and in your conscience. So special or spiritual uh, revelation comes in history. We look back at the Old Testament and we see how God delivered his people out of bondage, out of slavery, and, and rebuilt their, their kingdom time and time again. <clears throat> it comes through incarnation. Um, that's Jesus, just, just in case you didn't know. Jesus is God incarnate. He is, he is God's revelation to man. And we see in John 1, uh, it says the word was God. Okay? And the word was Jesus is what it's talking about there. So the word was God so, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so we look at that and we look at this idea that Jesus is God's revelation to us by coming in the form of a man. The third way is through speech. And this can be direct like Moses in the burning bush. God like directly talked to Moses. Or it can be indirect in through like a prophet where a prophet hears from God and writes down what God says and then other people Read it. <clears throat> we look at Jeremiah 1 9. He says, The Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. And that was, he was a prophet, right? And so God put words in Jeremiah's mouth to share with God's people. And then the fourth way, the final way, is written communication. And we see this in the tablets of Moses. 
We see this, uh, Joshua wrote, when when in the book of Joshua, it says Joshua wrote these words from God. Um, Isaiah, uh, write, he, (laughs) there's a verse where it says, write this before them. It says, write these things before his people to come as a witness forever. Again, we just talked about Jeremiah where it says the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians, we're looking for a New Testament example of this. He says, the things I am writing to you are commanded of the Lord. And, and, And you see like, why would God tell these people to write things down? Why would God not just reveal it to them and be like, go tell my people, go share with my people. Why would, why is written revelation so important? It's, be, it's essential because it enables personal study, meaning that people can read it for themselves and understand it for themselves and study it themselves. It's for public study, what we're doing tonight, where we're like publicly studying as a group, the words of God. Uh, it's con- continual examination, it's going to be scrutinized, right? If something's written down, people are going to edit it. Or they're going to like uh, proofread it and try to like find things that are wrong with it. Like it's constantly going to be examined and looked at uh, for clear explanation. So if someone's like, I don't know, that seemed kind of vague. Let's look at it together. You can look at a writing and ongoing edification. Obviously, continuing to read scripture is encouraging and, and can build you up. And it ensures... Uh, precision of the word, meaning, I don't know if you guys have ever played the telephone game. Is that still a thing? Yeah. Like that was the thing. Yeah. Okay. So if I just, if God like told you a word. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, you like start in a big circle and you like whisper a phrase in someone's ear and they pass it around. And by the time it gets to the end, it's like completely changed. Right? So if God tells, if God tells a prophet something and they don't write it down and they just tell people my gosh, what, we're 2,000 years removed from Jesus and the Old Testament prophets were before that? I mean, we're, we're thousands and thousands of years removed from some of these writings. If they weren't written down, they would be totally different than what they started as because they would have been passed down verbally in the telephone. So written revelation ensures precision of the words so that they don't get changed and preservation of the words, the, word, the way that they get passed on, like a... I don't know if you guys have like books in your family that your parents maybe will pass to you or their parents pass to them and you read with your man. I don't know. My family does, but we may be weird. Um, but I look at, I look at to, to ensure and so to sit here and be like, okay, well, that's nice to say like, oh, well, you wrote it down. So nothing's ever going to change. Well, we look at Revelation 22, uh, which is the last chapter of the Bible. And in Revelation 22, 18 and 19, this is kind of like the the last disclaimer of the Bible. But this is what uh, John says when he's writing in verses 18 and 19 of Revelation 22. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to them plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share of the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Okay, and so when we look at this, we see this disclaimer in here, and it's basically like if you add stuff, God will add plagues to your life, and if you take stuff away, God will remove your place in heaven, essentially, is what that's kind of saying. And so God intends for his word to be passed on exactly how it was given to to the prophets and given to the apostles and given to the people who wrote it. He doesn't intend for it to be changed. And that's why he had this written revelation exist. 
But more importantly than just like this, we talked about the four types of special or, or spiritual revelation. More important than it just being these things that we talked about, about written. With this general revelation, general knowledge for all, we were left condemned, right? We talked about if God existed for us to know, but we couldn't really know him, we'd be left condemned. But this special spiritual revelation provides a specific knowledge of God. The first one was a general knowledge, just that there is a God. And this provides a specific knowledge of God. Do do we see the difference there? Like a general is just, I understand that God exists. And a specific means I'm understanding important, minute details about who God is. And more specifically, how we can be saved from our sins. And this is almost in direct response to where general revelation left us, right? It left us in this place, not being able to (coughs) atone for our sins, And now with this special spiritual revelation, we now have that. We have this more specific understanding. Guys, the bottom line is we cannot know God unless God reveals himself to us. That that makes sense, right? If If you met someone, you wouldn't really know them until they revealed themselves to you. Like you could, you could try to guess how they are by what you know about them, what they look like. And, but you don't really know someone until they reveal themselves to you. And see, God is holy. And we are unholy sinners. God's revelation, it's crystal clear. But our reception, our, the way we understand things is cloudy. And Jesus addressed this. He even talked about this. If you think that I'm just making this up, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 13 when people are like, good grief, Jesus, why do you keep talking all these parables that we can't understand? And Jesus says, I'm teaching you in parables so that you can understand. Because the things of God are a mystery to us. We don't understand them. And so he had to make them into stories that we would understand. And so the question um, the question, <laughs> the, the original question we started the night with is, do we need a Bible? Do we need a divine revelation? Well, we do only if we need, only if we want to have any hope of truly knowing who God is. I mean, if we want to truly know who God is, we need some sort of written revelation. It has to happen. And, and, and that's exactly why you see <coughs> so many different religions have a book. Islam has the Quran. Uh, Mormons have the Book of Mormon. Christianity has the Bible. Like, religions have holy books because it's essential, right? You have to have a holy book to, to fully understand the deity that your religion serves. Guys, we need God by his mercy and through his spirit to reveal his word to us. That's the only way we can truly know him and escape the condemnation of general revelation. And I look back at the question on the survey, is God's word divinely inspired by God alone? And I feel like I should change it from yes, no, and not sure to yes, no, and I sure hope so. 
because like realistically, if it's not yes, you better hope that, that the Bible is 100% accurate because that's the only hope you have. If the Bible is not fully dis- divinely inspired by God, then there is no hope of a relationship with God because we just have general rev- revelation and not spiritual revelation. So now that we understand that we need a Bible, we've, we've fully covered the fact that we need a Bible. Like we need a holy book, a divine revelation from God. Do we have that in the Bible? Well, the word you're going to hear a lot is inspired. Like it's divinely inspired to man, you know, or something like that. Now, so revelation is God to man. It's vertical, right? God reveals to man. And inspired is more of like an L shape. It's God to man to man. Okay? And, and so inspiration means that God gives and man shares. Does that make sense? That's what inspired, divine inspiration means. So revelation is vertical and inspiration is vertical and then horizontal. Okay? So how can we know if a writing such as the Bible is inspired, is God's inspired revelation to us? Well, we have two, two big things that we can point to. One is that the Bible claims to be the Word of God. Okay? And that sounds, like, that sounds almost like a little cheesy to sit here and be like, Oh, well, uh, yeah, the Bible's authority over everything, and I know that because it says that it's the authority. Like, and you could get into a major circular argument, right? Like about like, well, you can't use the Bible to prove authority because the Bible says it's the authority and like that doesn't work. But guys, just realize this for a second. Anytime you're talking about ultimate authority, you have to have ultimate authority to assign ultimate authority, Right? Like, someone has to be the boss to choose who the boss is, right? Like, a boss doesn't just, like, hatch, hatch out of a boss egg. Like, you have to have some sort of, uh, of ultimate authority to establish ultimate authority. So, just the fact that the Bible says that it is authority does not mean that it's not authority, right? Does that make sense? It could be the authority. So, so we have to look at it and say, well, okay, if the Bible says it is authority... And it says it is God's word. Okay, so let's take that for now. And we've got to now check and see whether or not it's true. We look at the prophets. and They claimed they were not shy about proclaiming the fact that they were speaking God's word. We already saw where it talked about God has put this word in our mouth. And in fact, the phrase, thus says the Lord. Like that would be like someone writing. They'd be like, blah, blah, blah. Thus says the Lord. Like meaning this is what the Lord said. It appears over 3,000 times in scripture. So they were not shy about saying that they are proclaiming God's word. And we even see multiple times throughout the New Testament where apostles or Jesus refer to the Old Testament as scripture. And we'll talk about the canonization of scripture in just one second. But we even see in 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 18, when Paul actually cites Luke's book in the New Testament and calls it scripture. So it's not like the New Testament is like this, ooh, this dangerous, like it's not really scripture. No one really. By the time Paul was writing to Timothy, Luke was considered scripture. The book of Luke was considered scripture because he quotes it as scripture and says, this is scripture. The scriptures say. But we see proof that God's inspired revelation to humanity, because it claims to be God's inspired 
revelation to humanity, but we also see it, and this is almost more important because this is the way that we can prove that something is or isn't right. The validity of Scripture through fulfilled prophecy. The Bible contains numerous instances of prophecy fulfilled throughout history, from the destructions of empires like Edom, Babylon, Nineveh, Israel, and Israel's rise again, to the coming of Jesus. If we look at Jesus alone and his birth, death, life, everything about it, there are over 300 specific prophecies, most of which were written centuries before and were contradictory to what what would have been normal? Like, it'd be like, oh, Jesus will die on a cross. And they're like, what the heck is a cross? Like, it was not the normal way someone would die. Um, but he, there were over 300 specific prophecies that he fulfilled perfectly. And in fact, in the 24 hours surrounding his death, he fulfilled over 20 prophecies just in that 24 hours. So we have proof that scripture is d- divine because the writers proclaimed to it to be true and we can prove that it's true because they predicted things that actually happened in the world and haven't missed okay if you look at the quran and the book of mormon they make zero prophetic claims we have zero way of proving whether or not they're true because they give us no reference they give us no way to judge whether or not it's true the reason they don't do that is because it would prove that it's not true The reason the Bible gives us these prophecies is to prove that it is accurate. But how do we know we have the right scripture? I mean, didn't men pick the Bible? Like, how do do they pick the books of the Bible? And I'm going to use this word canon as the canon of scripture. That's what that means, the books of the Bible or canonization. What we have to realize is that when scripture was canonized, it was like Newton discovering gravity. When Newton discovered gravity, gravity had existed since the beginning of time. Okay? God made gravity, and Newton just wrote it down. God made the canon of Scripture. People just wrote it down. And in fact, if you look, for over a thousand years before the canonization of Scripture was finalized during the, the councils, we're not going to get into all of it, but a thousand years, people were, had already established The books of the Bible that we still use today as the canon of Scripture, they just didn't formalize it because they didn't need to. It wasn't until around 1546 when the Catholic Church wanted to include the Apocrypha, which if you know what that is, it's extra books in the Old Testament. We're not going to go into it. They're not valid. We We can talk about that if you want. These are the things. Come talk to me later. The Catholic Church wanted to add the Apocrypha to the canon of Scripture. And so the church had to come back and say, no, no, no. This is our canon of scripture. They hadn't established it before then because they didn't need to because it was understood. So it wasn't that, oh, we just picked the books in 1546 and said these are the books of the Bible. No, they had always been the books of the Bible. God had ordained them as the books of the Bible from the beginning of time. We just wrote them down then. Guys, it, it's easy to see <clears throat> if, you, if you look at it. If you really look at it. It's easy to see that the Bible is something that is true, that is revealed by God, and is recognized as such by humanity. It's plain to see right there. And our world sits here, and they downgrade it and belittle it, and they want to discredit it. And the the thing they hold on to is the fact that you don't know the Bible as well as you should. And we talked about this idea that... that the last question on that survey was who reads their Bible outside of church? And there were only five yeses. 
out of, out of like 20-something people that we had here. Guys, as Christians, we have to be people who are in the word of God, not only to make us closer to God. We talked about the importance of scripture and that we need it to understand who God is, but we need it to also know how to stand up to people who try to discredit what we believe. The world makes a living on telling Christians that the Bible's not true because they just think that we're going to go, man, that's a good point. It must not be true if you made that point. But if you really look at scripture, what it says, how it works in history, how it works in what it claims to be, man, it's obvious that scripture is the divine revelation of God that is fully divine by God and is fully true. And this was done by God so that we could understand who God is. So next time you hear someone try to tell you that the Bible is not fully divinely inspired by God, that it was just written by men, so that doesn't really count. It couldn't be written by God because men wrote it down. Man, take a second to tell them. The Bible has to be true because what it says. You look at it, the way that it, it claims to be true, and then it predicts stuff, and that stuff comes true. Like, if the Bible ever missed on a prophecy, then we could have a discussion. But it hasn't yet. And so we can know without a shadow of a doubt that the Bible is what it says it is as God's divine revelation to us. So to answer that first question, is the Bible divinely inspired by God and God alone? The answer is yes, it is. And we'll dive more into these other four questions as we go through these next four weeks, but we're going to finish there tonight. So if, like I said, if you guys have any questions, anything I didn't cover, please come talk to me because that was a flash course through the divinity of Scripture. Let me pray for you guys and we'll get out of here. God, thank you so much for these students. Thank you so much for our opportunity to gather here tonight. And But God, we praise you tonight for the word that you have revealed to us, your divine revelation to us. God, we praise you for it. And I pray that you would just burden the hearts of these students to study that word more, to get into it and to understand its truth. God, we pray that you would just continue to reveal yourself to us through all these ways we talked about tonight. Make yourself known in our world. Make, make yourself known to us so that we can see you and we can follow after you and commit our lives to serving you. God, take us down the path that you have ordained for us, that you have designed for us to carry our lives. God, we praise you for all this, and we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.